Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. If this is your first time here, uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team here at Hill City, and just excited that you're here, honored that you're here. Uh, been praying for you uh, this morning, just every person that would walk into this building that would experience um, this whole Jesus thing in a fresh new way. So whether this is your first time ever in church, or first time coming back to church, or you've been a seasoned vet, you're an old head in the church. Uh, like, we just, we pray that people will always have this new and exciting and um, meaningful experience to draw closer to Jesus. And uh, that's what we pray for every single Sunday. So just so glad that you are here today. We're getting ready to get to Easter really soon, which is kind of crazy because it feels like Christmas just happened. And so uh, in, the, in the church world, like those things, they just get so close together. But Easter's coming really soon. And so leading up to to Easter, we wanted to have a little bit of a focus of like, where, where can we, uh, how can we prep our hearts in the right way uh, leading up to it? And so months and months ago, uh, I was reading in the, the book of Matthew where um, this guy Matthew writes about the life and the teaching of Jesus. And he says this in chapter 12, he says, for just as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish for three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. This is Jesus talking. And he says, the people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented when Jonah preached to them. And now something greater than Jonah uh, is here. And so I read that and, and I, again, I knew the story of Jonah pretty well because we, we grew up with it. And uh, um, how many of you guys like, just grew up with just the story of Jonah? You went to Sunday school or some kind of... Yeah, and you remember like you had, if you're in my age or older, you had felt boards. Anybody? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, yeah, you age yourself real quick with that. And uh, I remember, I will never forget that um, when we did Jonah, I was probably somewhere around seven or eight and the felt board was there. You know, Jonah gets swallowed by the fish and we'll talk about that today. Um, and he had a desk and a lamp inside the fish. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. God can do really anything. But we had this like big story. So we know like some of the story and, um, but I was like intrigued by why Jesus specifically pointed to Jonah. And so we kicked it off last week and, and talked a little bit about the story of Jonah. And uh, I'm going to continue it on for the next, you know, couple weeks here uh, together. But there was something like really cool as I was thinking about, um, as I was leaving last Sunday and just thinking about uh, the Bible and thinking about how the beauty of it. Like there, there's a simplicity to the Bible, meaning you can pick up the Bible if you've never picked up the Bible. You can pick up the Bible, start reading it, and you can learn something like that. That God can speak to your heart. Uh, you can, God can reveal something. You can learn something about God. You learn something about yourself. And, uh, and, it, and it's beautiful. And it's, and it's so simple. At the same time, the Bible is so dang complex. And, and you can start... Uh, reading it now and read it every single day for the rest of your life and you will learn something new all the time. Like all the time in some of these stories, like even the story of Jonah. I, can't, I don't even know how many times in my 46 years of life that I've gone over the story of Jonah, but learning something new in it this, this time studying it. And so what's cool about it, when, when we talk about the word of God and the Bible, it's like it's a, a breathing, living word of God. All right, so something, it's always moving, it's always acting, it's always doing something inside of us. And it's the, it's the beauty of, of Scripture. So it's, it's simple, but yet complex. 
And, and then you might be thinking, well, do you, do you have to have the Bible to be a Christian? Well, you don't have to have the Bible per se. I mean, there, there are for sure uh, stories about how uh, in the persecuted church, how um, people would get maybe a, a chapter of a Bible um, or they would get a, a book. And, and what they would do, I remember this was in, uh, hearing a story from a missionary and he was telling how uh, they, they, they basically like tore up the Bible and they gave people like just little pieces because they couldn't carry the whole Bible. They had to figure out ways how to, to hide it. And so one person would have like, oh, you had, you had like John chapters one through four. And like some, and, you know, the person at Leviticus was like, dang it. But like they had, um, but they had like, they had like each one, but they would just like study it and mold over and memorize it. And God would move in this powerful way with what they had, right? Then you have people throughout history that didn't ever have access to the Bible, but, but God moved in such a, a powerful way. And so this whole conversation on the Bible, it's like, it's simple and it's incredibly complex. But here's what I want you to take away from that is that, that God is always moving. And he's trying to get us and get our attention and, and, and develop something in us. And so in these stories that maybe for you have seemed mundane, a story like this, like, oh, I've gone through this. It's like, oh, there's something that God wants to reveal to me in this. And maybe for the first time. And if the story is brand new to you, I want you to see the simplicity of the story, um, but also appreciate the complexity of scripture because it's so creative. Um, it is brilliant. As I said last week, if you are fans of, of things like Lord of the Rings or, or like trilogies or like things that are just like, or Harry Potter, anything that comes like, you're like, oh, I love the books. I love how they tie in together. The Bible is infinitely more complex and beautifully written than any of those things. And the way it's linked in and everything, I mean, it is fascinating. Um, it's incredibly fascinating. And that's why the more you study it, the more uh, you begin to appreciate what the writers were actually trying to do. And sometimes when we talk about uh, the Bible, we, we can get a little bit on edge because, uh, you know, we were all raised a certain way in how we see Scripture, like we're all, like if you, uh, if you're now, if you're just coming into this new and you're not bringing anything with you, that's, that's a wonderful book. For, for those of us that grew up in church, you were kind of put in a certain lane on how to, how to see scripture one way or another. And so sometimes you hear things and like, oh man, it doesn't feel, it feels hard for me to like uh, appreciate. But part of what is so critical with, with scripture is to stay curious about it. And to keep like being like, oh God, will you reveal? And God, will you, can I learn? What, what's something new? Can I, I mean, like think about this. In this passage in Matthew 12, and I just want you to see this because sometimes people are like, does the Bible really work this way or does it have to like line up perfectly? Look what Jesus says here. He says, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and how many nights? Is that true? You, all right, really? There's only two options. Is it true? Was he dead for three days, three nights? No. So is Jesus wrong? Did he like mistake? Like when he died and he, he rose to life and was celebrated on Easter, he's like, I thought I had one more night. You know, like that's not what happened, right? So what was Jesus actually doing? He wasn't wrong, but what's he trying to do? He's trying to get us to understand. This is the beauty of scripture, okay? This is the beauty of scripture. It's like he's trying to get us to, to think about something else. There's a different motif or theme that's end up happening. He's trying to get us to understand, hey, I want you to actually look at the story of Jonah 
because Jonah was three days and three nights, and we'll see that in a second. But there's something bigger going on here, and the Bible is doing that all the time. Now, here's what's interesting about the Bible, because sometimes it's, this, is, this is on the more complex side. Uh, you have a lot of different things about the Bible. You've got songs in there, right? Um, you've got poetry in there. You've got genealogies in there. But if it's interesting even about genealogies, some of those genealogies um, aren't literal, meaning like it's not exactly how it worked out. Some of the genealogies are done by essentially grouping numbers together. And they're trying to tell a different story. And so I'd be like, oh, there were seven generations of this and seven of this and seven of this. And it's like, is that really how it all lay, laid out? It's like, well, no, they're trying to get us to the number seven. Again, just complexity in scripture sometimes. Um, you've got things like, um, like epic um, apocalyptic imagery, right? Where people have been trying to figure stuff out like for literally thousands of years, what some of that stuff means. And uh, you've got stuff like that. And then you've got things that are, are very historical. You've got things that are more narrative written, right? And telling a, a, another kind of story. You've got like laws in there. So the, the Bible's got this complexity to it, um, which is wonderful. So you, you're weighing all of these things all the time within scripture. And sometimes it's important. Then, all right, when we step into a story, so Jesus and what he's saying there was Jesus being like very literal about him being dead for three days and three nights? And actually, no, he's not because otherwise he would have been wrong. And, and so sometimes Jesus, like we're reading this, like, okay, he's pointing to something bigger in the story. And so with Jonah, that's what we started talking about, that there's something bigger going on in the story. And a lot, a lot of people like wonder, was, was Jonah a real story? Was it not? And um, we're not going to debate that. That's not the important piece. The important piece is what we're starting to reveal about ourselves in this story with Jonah and who God is in this story. That's actually what's really important. And so we begin to see, like last week, that this Jonah, um, I said he was the Forrest Gump of prophets, right? If you were here, right, Jonah was what? Running, right, yes. And so just as a reminder, here's just a visual. This is Jonah that I want you to just always have in your head. And then do you remember Jonah ends up, and what does he do? He, he charters, what does he charter? A, a yacht, yes, exactly. Like a, no, but he charters this, actually, you know what? It might have been a yacht. You know why? Because it had luxury cargo, like it was an extravagant thing. It was going to, to Tarshish, right? And so here's just, I just, again, I want you to just remember, this is Jonah from the boat. So... I want this ingrained in your head for the rest of your life that whenever you think of Jonah, you just think of him as, as Forrest Gump. But, but Jonah was this guy who was, he was running. He was a prophet of God who was sent to go do something. He was sent to go talk to these Ninevites. But he runs. And he charges his boat. And remember we talked about how um, you know, Jonah, was, uh, God was telling him to get up and arise and Jonah was going down, right? Even this kind of juxtaposition within the story and the beauty of how it was written, seeing these different um, motifs that are in there. Um, so I want to pick up the story right where we left off, um, which is right at the end of chapter one. And it says this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to look at this, to do what? Yeah, I want you to remember that. Um, because this is not the only time in the Bible that this storyline is actually in here. This idea of something being swallowed up. So now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. It says, from deep in the realm of the dead, right? I called for help. This is Jonah praying. All right, so this is, again, if you grew up, this is like... The, the idea when I talked about the desk and the, and the lamp inside of the belly of the fish, it's like, all right, so jo Jonah is, is praying. 
He's praying at this point in time. He says, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your, look at this, all your waves and breakers swept over me. Who hurled Jonah down there? Really? I thought the sailors threw him over there. But in his prayer, he's like, you hurled me down there. And, and, it, and it's going what? Down. But God told him to go up and arise. And so it's like, Jonah, in Jonah's prayer is interesting. It's like, you did this, God. You hurled me into this. And, and, but right before, it's like, the Lord provided a great fish, which is interesting. And it says, no, but you did this. And it was your waves. And so it was your storm. And Jonah's praying in this way. He says, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Where's the holy temple? It is up. Okay, so even in the language, you can see up and down things a lot in this, in this book. Look towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred, um, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So you see this interesting way that Jonah's like talking in his prayer about this down and up thing and, and who he's giving credit to different things for. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. That's interesting. Um, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good and I will say... Salvation comes from the Lord. So this is a really interesting prayer that Jonah is doing. And then it ends with this. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it what? Yeah, Jonah onto dry land. And so this is a super interesting story. When you just read it kind of flatly, it's, it's like, oh, well, cool. Like Jonah uh, actually had this moment where he started to turn things around, and he prays to God, and, and it seems like Jonah's learned his lesson, right? He's in the belly of a fish, like the storms came and everything, and it seems like he's, he's learned his lesson. Now, if you know the end of the story, he hasn't learned much, okay? But it seems like on the front end that we see, like, okay, Jonah's learned his lesson. Like, the storm happened, he got swallowed, God saved him, and, well, this, this feels like it fits in together, but there's a little bit more to this story that I think is really important. And here's what I want you to think about first. Don't lose your imagination. Don't lose your imagination. One of the things about the Bible is it's always trying to cultivate this level of curiosity within us. And one of the things God always wants us to do is to have our imagination intact. Um, our imaginations go away when we let life begin to like just cut us down, right? And so you become negative. Um, like negative people don't have great imaginations, right? People with great imaginations, they see a scenario in front of them and they can imagine what could be. They can imagine. It's like, uh, it's like oh man, you have one person's like, this is the worst. And you have another person's like, yes, it's horrible. But can you imagine if God, right? Like you've been around folks like that, right? Their imagination is intact. And sometimes you, we label those people. It's like, oh, I'm a realist, right? Have you ever said that about yourself? I'm just a realist. I'm not pessimistic, 
right? And there might be some truth to that, and that's okay. Um, but a lot of times we put people in these categories of the kind of realist, or maybe you lean pessimistic or negative or whatever, and then you got the optimist, right? The forever optimist, and it's like, oh, you guys are so naive, right? You're so naive. Like, like it's not going to work out that way. Like, I've been through this situation before, and like, yeah, but it could. It's like, but it won't, right? You're that person. You kind of be around those people. God wants you And we see this, and I I really mean this, all throughout the entire scripture, all throughout church history, God wants our imaginations to stay intact. Because when our imaginations stay intact, we can still be people of hope. If you become someone who looks at the world around us and says things like this, it's the worst it's ever been. Oh, it's going to hell. It's like, that is not how God wants us to think. God wants us to think, Things have gotten off track and things aren't that great in these little scenarios, whatever those scenarios are. But man, can you imagine if God infused something into this storm? Can you imagine? What if we were like people of hope and started pointing to the light of everything instead of buying into the darkness of everything? It's like we can't lose our imagination. And uh, and part of this is, uh, again, seeing the layers of scripture and why it's so beautiful because the writers are always trying to get us to understand something a little deeper with them and what it's linked into imagination. So I haven't drawn in a little while, so I'm gonna do that. So um, I've, I've drawn this before, and, um, but I want you to just understand that to someone reading and listening to the story of Jonah, their concept of the world uh, and what it looked like is wildly different than our our reality and what we know um, simply because of technology and time. But uh, how they thought about it was in the creation story, before the, the, in Genesis chapter one, there's this creation story in the beginning of the Bible. There were creation stories before the biblical creation story, okay? So there are Babylonian and Egyptian, Assyrian. There, there are other creation stories. The creation story of the Bible isn't just talking about who God is, it's also speaking to the other creation stories. All right, so they're written in a way to speak to the other creation stories. So never forget that when you're, you're reading the Bible. It isn't just this like kind of siloed thing. It's also speaking to other cultures at that time. So here's what people thought back then. So people thought that there was this water, and I'm not going to do this in uh, the exact order that we see in Genesis, but the prevailing thought was there was this water and it was chaotic. And that what happened was that, that God came down and calmed everything in his creation and in, in the way the spirit of God moves. That the, the raging seas, nothing contained the water, nothing contained uh, the storms or the seas, but, but God did. And, and when he did this, and this is one God, where all the other all the other people believed in multiple gods and everything, but, but God, the God that we, we serve, it's like, all right, he calmed the seas, his spirit calmed the seas. And then there was this land um, that was on top of it, all right? What's interesting is, is there's, on top of this land um, was Eden. So if you read it in this way, is, is Eden is actually this land that it has to go up because um, at one point in the creation story, it talks about how the Garden of Eden, that, the, that uh, rivers flowed out of it. And so it had to be up, all right? So we had to kind of conceptually think like up. And the reason why Eden was up is because that's where heaven and earth met, okay? And so people would believe this. And above this, you know, you had the stars and you had the sun and you had the moon and all that other stuff. Um, But what was interesting is what people would see is when they would see the skies, so when you look up, 
um, that's called the rakia, in, in the word that's in Hebrew. But when they would see, uh, if you were to walk outside today and you look at the clouds, it looks like there's just like this rim, right? So, so back then in the cosmology, they would say like, oh, there, there's just this rim. That's where it stops. God, the gods must be above that. But, but they've created this other thing and they, they're keeping us in it. And so, um, but they also believe this, that there were water, there was water above all that. Well, why would they think that? Well, because like when it rained, they were like, oh, this portal opened somewhere in this rakia and uh, there must be water up there. And so, so the gods would, would like allow us to have rain. It was like, oh, there's dry land and so we'll open this portal and rain would come down. Okay, and so they would have that. And then, then they would think, oh, like, how does this all like stay in place? And so you can actually see this in the Psalms, that there were these like pillars that kept everything in place underneath. And so this is how like ancient cosmology was and, um, and how they would, they would think about the, the, the world uh, around us. And, and why is that important? Well, it's important because we always have to take the Bible in its context, and what it's speaking to. And so even a story like Jonah, it's important to see like, oh, um, it's speaking to something else. So even in the story of Jonah, who calms the sea? God does. God calms the storm. And it's significant that God does in the story. Why? Because it isn't just saying that God calms storms. It's allowing us to see this, imagine, our imagination's flowing. It's like, oh, only our God can calm storms. Only the God who created all of this, the God who created the waters, who calmed the seas, the God who created um, all the stars and, and all the land and all the people and everything, the God who created all of that, that's our God. So our God, imagine this, our God who created all the fish and all the sea monsters, and, and the sea monsters are in the actual creation story too, but the God who created all of that, guess what? He could send a fish if he wanted to. Like, that's our God. He could do that. Now, someone else listening might be like, well, no, no, this, this other God might do it. It's like, no, if you're one of God's people, it's like, that's our God. He's the creator God. And so it's this big, big story that's being told within this little story. It's pointing to something greater. Now, why does that even matter, though? It's because our imaginations always have to stay intact that when you go through a storm, guess what God can still provide? You, like... Only our God can. When it feels like you're at the end of your rope and things keep piling on, who can provide? God can. God can provide anything. And God can provide anything to get you out of it. Might he send you a fish? I don't know. But he might send you a person who you never thought of. He might send you something that you never thought would be the very thing that would save you. The very thing that would bring you back. God might allow a storm to happen in your life. How many of you guys have um, been in a, at some point in your life gone through a horrific storm that you had hoped that God would save you from, but it was actually the storm that saved you? That going through that really hard thing that you might have put yourself in by your own actions and you might even pray, God, don't just take me out of this. And, and God allowed that storm to happen because that's actually what saved you. That's like, is that possible? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. There are a lot of things that are possible with God. Because why? Our imaginations need to stay in place. 
even when we read a scripture passage like this, it's like, it's trying to get us to always think the way that God's always moving, like the way that um, God's always working. Uh, even the writers of the entire Old Testament, they used stories like this, the word like, like God swallowing things. Um, it could be used for God's enemies. It could be used in terms of prayer. It could be used, um, there's one I'll actually show you, because um, I just want you to appreciate the, the complexity of scripture sometimes. Um, but it could be used to actually talk about uh, uh, the empire at the time. So look at this. In Jeremiah 51, who's another prophet, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion. He has made us an empty jar. Like a serpent, this, is a, this word here is actually the same as like a big like sea monster. Um, he has swallowed us and filled us his stomach with our delicacies and then has spewed us, which is the same word as vomit, vomited us out. And so we even see like there's several other instances in the Old Testament where this idea of something being swallowed up and vomited out is used. And so this is a common motif within scripture. Why does it matter? Because again, our imaginations should always be turning. It's like, oh, when we're reading the Bible, it's like, man, our imagination is supposed to be going so that when we look at the world around us, we keep imagining what God could do. And we keep staying in this place of, of great imagination and great understanding. Um, in this prayer, if we kind of, I'm going to go back to, to Jonah's prayer here for a second. And you see, he says, I've been banished from your sight. I will look again toward your holy temple. And can I go to verse six? It says, the roots of the mountain, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you, Lord God, you brought my life up from the pit. And he's still praying. He's like, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Even in this prayer, we see like in Jonah, what he's got this imagination of what God could do. What's interesting in this prayer is that every single line is um, from the book of Psalms. So nothing's actually like new. It's, it's all from the book of Psalms. Every line is. And, um, and so we see like, oh, man, even in this, that God can use something that's so simple, like prayers other people have already prayed and God could speak into that. Imagine. Uh, how many of you guys say the same prayer at every meal in that same range, right? Sometimes you're like, is that the right thing to do? It's like, no, it's okay. Like, God can use, like, normal prayers. God can use, why? Because our imagination, if it stays intact, it's like, oh, God can use the simple prayers we have, the ones we memorize. One of the things that, why we've done, like, these three times of prayer all the time, it's like, well, why is that? Like, we said the Lord's Prayer at noon every, every day, right? Well, why? It's like, oh, we want this rhythm. But, but God wants my creative prayer, right? The one he's never heard from anyone ever, it's like, no, it's, it's, no, in our prayers, it's like, keep your imagination and like God's listening. Keep your imagination, even if you've prayed the same prayer over and over again, keep your imagination intact. God is listening and God uh, wants to provide. When you think of the story, um, what's interesting about Jonah here is his prayer is actually self-centered. His prayer is, uh, even when he prays, he, he doesn't thank God for saving the sailors, Right? He just looks at himself. And we see that, we start getting these little cues about, you know, Jonah, that he's uh, not quite self-aware. But we also see this tension in this prayer because he, he understands who God is, and that's important. But he also um, gets into this place where everything about his life is still about him. 
And we all can get in that same place. Again, so we're, we're keeping our imagination intact. Rather than being like, oh, this story of Jonah is just this little box, and you've got to fit into this little box, and it was exactly literally like this. It's like, no, there's a bigger thing going on here as we place ourselves in, in Jonah's shoes. To understand, yeah, just like Jonah, I've prayed prayers that are selfish before. Just like Jonah, I've had back and forth with God. Just like Jonah, I've run before. Just like Jonah, I've ignored uh, what, what God was trying to tell me. Just like Jonah, I've forgotten the ways that he actually saved other people in the midst of the storm, and I was only concerned with myself. Just like, jo- like, so it's like, just like Jonah, just like, and it's like, oh, our imagination is staying in the place it's supposed to be. When I was thinking about the idea of storms, there is this piece to the, the storm of when we go through the storm, we can either be responders to who God is or we just respond to the storm itself, right? So we see with Jonah, it's like, oh, Jonah's actually just responding to the storm. He's not responding to God. And I wonder how often when we get in the storm that we're more concentrated on what the storm is doing rather than being a responder to who God is to take a step back for a second and be like, man, I'm in something that requires my imagination to be intact. Like when we go through something tough and when it's suffering and when it's pain and when there's a big storm, it's like in those moments, are we fixated on who God is and we respond to who God is or are we fixated on what the storm is actually doing? Those are two very different things. The sailors in the story responded to who God is. Jonah is responding to the storm. Two very, very different things. And it's important to begin to balance out where we see ourselves um, in each one. Now, let me also say this. When you're in the storm, here's what I'm not saying. That whatever storm you're in, whether that was self-induced by your own actions, whether that was brought on by somebody else, or whether it's just like life just happened and there's incredible suffering, What we do know is this, God can always provide in those storms, but what I don't want you to take away is that every storm is somehow good. Like, I'm not saying that evil things and suffering and pain is good, but what I am saying is that God is good, and that in the midst of the storm, if we're fixated on on, on who God is, we begin to see like, oh, there is good that can come out of something while also appreciating the reality of grieving and mourning and hurting and pain and the reality of evil and sin and suffering in the world. Both those things can stay in tension together. So what I want you to do just for a second here, before I just move on to the second and last point, I want you guys to bow your heads just for a second. I just want you to pause because if you're going through something really bad right now, some kind of storm. Again, it doesn't matter if you put yourself there or or if it was someone else or just life happened. I want you to think about what you're focusing on. What are you responding to? Are you responding to who God is? Or are you just fixated on the storm? The second question I want you to just process for a second. 
And I just need a moment of just like honesty with yourself. Is my imagination intact with God? Truly. To believe a God who can provide. A God who can still do miracles. A God that makes me hopeful of what could be. Is my imagination intact? Here's the second thing I want you to remember. It's the last thing we'll talk about. God has a gag reflex. I almost put some things on the screen that give people gag reflexes. Just descriptors, not pictures. And um, I thought that'd be a really bad idea, especially if something kicks in. But, you know, we all have something that makes us go... Right? Whatever. It could be a word. It could be um, something you see, something you taste, right? Something that just gives you a gag reflex. And it's a horrible, horrible feeling, is it not? Right? And even me saying the word, some of you guys are like, stop saying it, right? And so, (laughs) but I want you to hear this because um, the word vomited was on purpose when it talks about what God did. It, it vomited Jonah out. That is not like a way to just be like, oh, it just like came out of the, the, the fish, whatever. It, it's intentional. The word, the word there is intentional. Um, and the reason why it's intentional, and not to be too descriptive, but when vomit happens, um, it's not clean. And there's a lot to do with it, right? And there is a lot going on. And um, it is a process and there is a sickness involved. And sometimes that can take a long time to figure out what's going on. But there's this, conceptually, what the writer of Jonah is trying to get us to understand and understand about God, that, that Jonah wasn't just saved and he was just like, oh, he's just like perfectly clean and he's all good. It's like, no, no, no. Like he was vomited out because there was some stuff still going on in him. So Jonah comes out and he's not clean. Even says he was vomited out onto dry land. Dry land is not a plush paradise. So even sometimes when we think like, oh, God intervenes and God saves and God does these things and we think, oh, now we're perfect and I don't have to deal with who I used to be. Until you realize, oh, God's still got some work to do in me. And that God is a God of process and you got to figure some things out. Um, how many of you guys, when you guys believed in Jesus, the very following day you were perfect? Some of the, um, the reason why so many people get offended by Christians is because uh, we refuse to, to be vulnerable about who we really are and what we're really going through and what we're really processing. And so we paint this image that just because we say we believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, that we've got all of our stuff together. And so when people find out that, you're actually, that you actually don't, like it's offensive to them. And then we create this culture, even in like the church world, that like somehow, some way, we're just going to have it all together. And so we prop up things rather than be able to talk about where, who we are and who we, what we're really going through. It's fascinating, even with the story with Jonah. Um, the sailors respond and God calms the waters, right? And, and so they're put in this place because they responded to God with like this heartfelt um, honoring of who God is. Jonah 
gets swallowed by a fish, goes into the depths of the sea, and is put on dry land into the wilderness. And so the sailors get put into kind of this plush, calm water. Jonah gets put into the wilderness. And we see that even sometimes what ends up happening is that even in our moments of being saved and, and God is, is providing for us, that sometimes it's calm waters on the other side. Sometimes we're put into a dry land or wilderness. And a lot of that is dependent on where we're at and how we're approaching God in the, the midst of this. And so we begin to kind of process this. All right, so Jonah's praying. We kind of talked about that. His prayers were really selfish and everything. And so in the midst of God still provides for Jonah, but Jonah has a lot of work to do. And he's got a lot, like God loves process and, and, and all that stuff, but, but there's still something about Jonah that made him vomit it up. And it's fascinating because um, how I was thinking about this this week was with this reason, that Jonah believed in God but did not fear God. And that is what we would call superficial spirituality. That is what we would call maybe being lukewarm. Um, that is what we would, uh, and, and Jesus talks a lot about this. So this isn't just the God of the Old Testament does something, but Jesus talks a lot about this. This this idea of what superficial spirituality does. And, and he would get so mad at the religious teachers um, because of their superficial spirituality. He would get so mad. And there's a difference. And I, before I kind of read through um, maybe some things to process around this. But there's a difference between someone who's really in process versus someone who's just like a consumer of God. When someone's really in process and, and growing and things are getting reshaped and they're questioning and they're doubting and they're trying to find answers, it's like they're, they're in process, right? Like things are just kind of like, it might take a little while, it might take years and, and you kind of just go through it. But then you got people who are like, oh, I'm in process, but they're not really in process, they're just really lazy. Or they've, they've really just decided, I don't want anything to do with God and they just want to be a consumer of things. Those are two very different things. Someone in process isn't being superficial about their spirituality. They're just in process. Someone who's decided to use God for whatever they want and get, uh, become a consumer of God and are lazy with God, they're not actually in process. They're being superficial about their spirituality. Two very different things. And it's that superficial spirituality that makes God want to vomit. It doesn't mean he won't save. It just makes him want to vomit. And so what might that look like for us? And so I wrote a few of these things down. And Laura, you can come up. And again, you have to determine whether or not you're really in process. But here's some things that can be superficial spirituality. You've lost curiosity and a desire for growth. Your faith is circumstantial and not relational. You consume and don't contribute. You see Jesus as a get out of hell free card. You're more concerned with other people's sins rather than your own. You put too much emphasis on rules. You love power more than serving. You're more concerned with appearance rather than vulnerability and authenticity. You're far more greedy than generous. You're very comfortable around things that are anti what Jesus actually taught. I brought this up. I, I, don't, I know I said it in the second service. I don't remember if I did in the first one last week, but... I said, you know, a lot of times um, I see on social media posting thing, people posting things like, well, if you don't like this, like, then, then don't do it. Or if you don't like this, then don't go around it. If you don't like that, da, 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 like all this stuff. And um, I'm like, man, that's not the way, like, 
following Jesus would have us engage some of these issues. And, and some of the things happening around, like, we wouldn't just be like, well, if you don't like it, just don't do it. If you don't, like, it's like, no, all this stuff impacts. It impacts so many people around us. It impacts us. I, I think about all the time our, what our kids are seeing and exposed to and what they're around. Um, and I think about what Jesus said in Matthew 18 about, man, if anyone causes these kids to stumble, like, he was so serious about it. And I was reflecting this week, I was like, you know what that comes from? It's like, when we're really serious about wanting to follow Jesus, we want to protect. We want a, a purity about what we do. We, we want to really value what Jesus taught and what he was pushing us towards. And when I was praying for today, I was like, in the same way that God has a gag reflex, um, I just started praying that we would too. But it has to start with like what's going on inside of us. Like something like being aware of like, oh man, I don't, I don't want this a part of my life anymore. And God, would you provide and would you come in and would you do something just miraculous in my heart today? Because you're just so good. So I'm asking you to bow your heads and I want us to process together here for just a minute. I want us to process the simple statement of do I believe in God? And don't fear him? And I don't mean to be scared of him. I mean to be in awe and wonder and honor and respect of him. Or maybe it's you're realizing there's an area of your life that you're really superficial in when it comes to your spirituality and you don't want to be that anymore. God, as we work through getting the story of Jonah and getting to the Easter season, each week, God, we're just trying to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes and understand that we're all like Jonah sometimes. We gotta pray that we wouldn't lose our imagination about what you could do and what could you do in people around us, what you could do in this city, what you could do in our own hearts. God, I pray that um, as we're about to sing about your goodness, um, that the words of the song would drive home the reality of we should be so deeply committed to who you are. But that's where we find life and hope and peace and purpose. And so we don't fall in line with the superficial spirituality, but we become people who truly want to follow you at such a deep level that our perspective changes, our hope changes, our mindset changes, and life is just lived to follow you. So will you stand and sing um, this last song with us?